dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. This week, we present another episode from our listener library, featuring suggestions from you, our mysterious listeners. Jeff writes, Love your show. It's one of the few podcasts I never miss. I'd love to hear your opinion of the show that got me into audio drama, the premiere episode of the 1984 public radio series, Bradbury 13. The episode I'm referring to is easily one of the scariest things I've ever heard. It is called The Ravine. Bradbury 13 was a series of radio adaptations by Ray Bradbury stories created by sound designer Michael McDonough in collaboration with Bradbury himself, who also introduced each episode. The series was produced and broadcast by National Public Radio as part of NPR Playhouse, the umbrella title for drama productions on NPR. Adding to its radio pedigree was the baritone voice of Paul Fries as the narrator. The series won the George Foster Peabody Award for Excellence in Broadcasting. Ray Bradbury is often cited as one of the major writers responsible for bringing science fiction into the literary mainstream. Known mainly for his mastery of the short story, Bradbury was also an acclaimed novelist. Fahrenheit 451, his depiction of book-burning dystopian future, still resonates with readers today. His collections of thematically linked short stories, including The Martian Chronicles and The Illustrated Man, simultaneously evoke the nostalgia of childhood and the anxieties of the future, whether that future be the banality of adulthood or the colonization of distant worlds. The Ravine is based on the short story The Whole Town Sleeping, first published in the September 1950 issue of McCall's magazine, and later incorporated into Bradbury's 1957 novel Dandelion Wine. It's one of Bradbury's rare thrillers, foreshadowing a contemporary obsession with stories that explore the dark underbelly of small-town life. The Whole Town Sleeping was adapted for radio 29 years earlier by Suspense, using the original title and a very similar script. And now, let's listen to The Ravine from Bradbury 13, originally broadcast on National Public Radio, April 16th, 1984. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music, and listen to the voices. This is Ray Bradbury. Join me for the next 30 minutes on a tour through time and space. Come along to the far future. Follow me into a strange past with stories that almost could be or might have been. Real or unreal, this is Bradbury 13. was a dynamo that never stopped running, night or day. There was a great moving hum, a bubbling and murmuring of creature. 
It smelled like a greenhouse of secret vapors and ancient washed shales and quicksands. And in the shade of warm trees, with her hands at either side of her like the oars of a delicate craft, lay Elizabeth Ramsell. Her face moonlit, her eyes wide and like flint, her tongue sticking from her mouth. Ray Bradbury's The Ravine. Douglas, would you like some more lemonade? No, thanks, Miss Lavinia. But I'll take another cookie. Oh, it's seven o'clock. You'd better run along now, Douglas. Your mother will be worrying. You going to the show with Miss Francine and Miss Helen? Yes, I am, Mr. Nosy. Now you get on home. Shoo! Bye. See you later. <laughs> what a scamp. Oh, Francine! Lavinia, are you all ready? Oh, yes. Let me lock the door. There. My, you look nice tonight. Oh, I feel good, too. It's a fine night for a movie. Isn't it, though? Where are you going, girls? To the Elite Theater to see Charlie Chaplin. Won't catch me out on no night like this. Not with the lonely ones strangling women left and right. I'm locking myself up in my closet with a gun. Oh, bosh. Go on, then. I'm going. <laughs> that woman. Lavinia? You don't believe all that about the lonely one, do you? Those women like to see their tongues dance, that's all. Just the same. Hattie McDollis was killed two months ago. Roberta Ferry the month before, and now Elizabeth Ramsell's disappeared. Hattie McDollis was a silly girl walked off with a traveling man, I bet. But the others, all of them strangled. Their tongues sticking out of their mouths, they say. Honestly, Francine. Lavinia, maybe we shouldn't go to the show tonight. The lonely one might... Follow and kill us. Francine! I don't like the ravine. Just, oh, look at it, will you? You're just being silly. It won't be me coming back through this old ravine so darn late tonight. It'll be you, Lavinia. You, you down the steps and over the bridge and... Maybe the lonely one there. Hush! You'll be you, alone on the path, listening to your shoes, not me. You, all alone, on the way back to your house, Lavinia. Don't you get lonely living in that house? Uh, old maids love to live alone. Let's take the shortcut. <gasps> what? Yes, through the ravine. Oh, I'm afraid. It's early. The lonely one won't be out till late. Come on, I'll take your arm. down here. Oh, insects. Just mosquitoes. Let's run. No. What's that? Fireflies, Francine. Aren't they beautiful? Twinkling like little stars. Well, I don't... <gasps> what is it? There. Under the tree. Where? There. There. Oh, don't, don't scream. Don't. Oh, it's Elizabeth. Elizabeth Ramsell. She's dead. Oh, oh, she's dead. Dead. She's dead. We'd better get the police. Oh. 
Before we terminate our investigation, I wonder, is there anything else you saw that you could tell us? No, we told you everything. Come on, Francine. You might drop by the station tomorrow for a little more questioning. We'll be there. Oh, hold on to me, Lavinia. I'm cold. I've never been so cold in my life. It's like December. You want an escort, ladies? No, we'll make it. Will we? Of course we will. Oh, I've never seen a dead person before. Oh. It's only 8.30. We'll pick up Helen and get on to the show. The show? It's what we need. We've got to forget this. It's not good to remember. We'll go to the show as if nothing happened. Oh, Lavinia, you don't mean it. I never meant anything more in my life. We need to laugh and forget. But Elizabeth's back there. Your friend, my friend. We can't help her now. We can only help ourselves. Come on. There's Helen. Come on now, chin up. Okay. There you are. I thought you'd never get here. You're only an hour late, that's all. Well, we went... Helen, out. someone found Elizabeth Ramsell in the ravine. Oh, dead? Was she dead? Yes. Oh. oh. Who, who found her? We don't know. Oh. I've got a, a notion to go back in the house and lock the doors. Helen, please come to the show with us. It'll be good for us all. Oh, poor Elizabeth. I feel a chill in here. I think I'll get a sweater. We found her. Why didn't you tell her? Why upset her? Tomorrow's plenty of time. Shh, here she comes. All set. There. Lock tight. Oh, it's all so ghastly. Let's hurry. We can still make the cereal. We're crazy being out on a night like this. Lonely one won't kill three ladies. There's safety in numbers. And besides, it's too soon. The killings always come a month apart. Well, I suppose. <gasps> What's that? Gotcha! <laughs> hey, I'm the lonely one. That's me! Frank, if you ever do a childish thing like that again, may someone riddle you with bullets. What a horrible thing to do. Oh, you monster! I didn't mean nothing. Oh, go away. Haven't you heard about Elizabeth Ramsell found dead in the ravine? Well, no, I... Are you running around scaring women? Jumping out from trees like that. Don't ever speak to us again. Oh, now. Nah. Get out of the way. Go. I was just funny. A lot of fun you are, Mr. Lonely One. Go take a look at Elizabeth Ramsell's face and see if it's funny. Good night. Oh, what a horrible night. <laughs> Francine, it was only a joke. You know, Frank. Why is she crying so hard? I'll tell you when we get downtown. We're going to the show no matter what. Now, come on now. Get your money ready. We're almost there. When we stop at the drugstore, I'd like to get some peppermint shoes. Good idea. I'll get some, too. Come on. Evening, ladies. What can I do for you? I need a nickel's worth of peppermint shoes for eating in the show and some for Helen, too. All right. A nickel's worth. Yes, please. You sure look pretty tonight, ladies. You... Looks so nice and cool this afternoon when you was in for a chocolate soda. Oh, why, thank you. In fact, you look so cool that someone asked after you. Oh? A man sitting at the counter watched you walk out. He said to me, say, who's that? 
Why, that's Lavinia Nibs, prettiest maiden lady in town, I said. <laughs> She's beautiful, he said. Where does she live? Oh, you didn't... You didn't give him her address, I hope. I, uh, I guess, uh, I didn't think. Oh! I told him over on Park Street, near the ravine, and... Well, tonight, with him finding that body and all, I thought, what have I done? Oh, how could you? Oh, I'm sorry, uh, of course, maybe it was nothing. Of course it was nothing, Mr. Spencer. Here's the nickel. Oh, there's no charge for those peppermints. Well, I know what I'm going to do right now. Helen, where are you going? Helen, where are you going? I'm going to call a taxi to take us all home. I'll not be part of a hunting party for you, Lavinia. That man was up to no good asking about you. Do you want to be dead in the ravine next? It was just a man. So is Frank Dillon a man. Maybe he's the lonely one. <sighs> I made the druggist give me a description. I made him tell me what he looked like. A stranger in a dark suit, sort of pale and thin. We're all overwrought. If I'm the next victim, I'm the next victim. <gasps> Lavinia! There's all too little excitement in life, especially for a maiden lady 33 years old. So don't you mind if I enjoy it? <gasps> enjoy it? Yes. Oh. Anyway, it's silly. I'm not beautiful. Oh, but you are, Lavinia. You're the loveliest lady in town now that Elizabeth is... You keep men off at a distance. If you'd only relax, you'd have been married years ago. Oh, stop it, will you? Now, here's the box office. I'm paying 41 cents to see Charlie Chaplin. If you two want to take a taxi, go on. I'll sit alone. I'll walk home alone. Lavinia, you're crazy. We can't let you do that. All right, then. Three tickets, please. Here's your ticket, Helen, and yours, Francine. You can pay me later. Now, let's get inside. Oh, I hope this is a good movie. Of course it's a good movie. Charlie Chaplin's in it, isn't he? Well, yes, but I, after look, all... Look, here's three good seats on the aisle. Let's go home. Look, there's Mr. Tubbs. Ladies and gentlemen, the police have asked us to close early tonight so everyone can be out at a decent hour. Therefore, we're cutting our short subjects and running our feature immediately. The show will be over at 11. Everyone is advised to go straight home. Don't linger in the streets. Thank you. That means us, It means everyone. It's starting good. Lavinia? What? As we came in, a man in a dark suit came across the street. So? He just walked down the aisle, and he's sitting in the row behind us. Oh, Right behind us? Look for yourselves. Oh, my gosh, he is there. I'm going to get the manager. Helen, no. Stop the film. Turn on the lights. Helen. <laughs> oh, Helen, you see how silly. All that commotion for nothing. <laughs> oh, I'm so embarrassed. When you ran up that aisle shouting, lights. I thought I'd die. <laughs> well, how was I to know he was Mr. Tubbs' brother from Racine? <laughs> you could have asked him. Well, I apologized. <sighs> we shouldn't have stopped for those sodas. The police warned us that we... Wash the police. I'm not afraid of anything. The lonely one is a million miles away by now. He won't be back for months. And the police will get him then. Just wait. <laughs> Wasn't the film wonderful? I've seen it before. <laughs> Ooh, I'm glad I brought my sweater. I do feel a chill in the air. So do I. Do you 
suppose if we scream, they do anything? Who? The store dummies. The people in those windows. Oh, Francine. They're made of wax. Don't be silly. Eleven thirty. Ooh, it's getting windy. There goes my hair. First, we'll walk you home, Francine. No, I'll walk you home. Don't be silly. You live way out at Electric Park. If you walked me home, you'd have to come back across the ravine alone by yourself. And if so much as a leaf fell on you, you'd drop dead. I should stay the night at your house. You're the pretty one, remember? Oh, bosh. Let's sing. Uh, What do we sing? Shine on... Shine on harvest moon up in the sky. Shh, shh, listen. It's just the wind blowing the porch swing back and forth. Oh. Shine on, shine on harvest moon. In the sky, I ain't had no love since January, February, June, July. Here's your house, Francine. Good night. Lavinia? Helen, stay here tonight. Oh, it's late. Almost midnight now. You can sleep in the parlor. I'll make hot chocolate. Oh, it'll be such fun. No, thanks. We'll be fine. Oh, Oh. Oh, Francine, don't cry. I don't want you dead. Oh, you're so fine and nice. I want you to live. Francine, I know this night has affected you. Believe me, I'll phone when I get home. I promise. Oh, will you? And tell you I'm safe, yes. And tomorrow we'll have a picnic lunch at Electric Park with ham sandwiches and potato salad. I'll make it all myself. How's that? All right. You'll see. I'll live forever. And you'll phone then? I promise, didn't I? Yes. Yeah, of course you did. Good night, Francine. Good night. Good night, Helen. Good night. Now, I'll walk you home. It's midnight. Yes. It's tomorrow, isn't it? Don't you feel funny? How do you mean? Well, when you think of us being out here on the sidewalks, under the trees, and all those people safe behind locked doors, lying in their beds. (laughs) We're practically the only people out in the open in a thousand miles, I bet. (laughs) Hear it? Yes. The ravine. Here's my house. Look, the moon is sinking behind the clouds. 
I don't suppose it's any use asking you to stay, Lavinia. I'll be getting home. Sometimes... Sometimes what? Sometimes I think people want to die. I'm just not afraid, that's all. I'm curious, I suppose. Curiosity killed the cat. I'm using my head, Helen. Logically, the lonely one can't be around, not with the police all over. The police are home with their covers up over their ears. Let's just say I'm enjoying myself precariously but safely. If there was any real chance of anything happening to me, I'd stay here with you. You can be sure of that. Maybe part of you just doesn't want to live anymore. Oh, you and Francine, honestly. I feel so guilty. I'll be drinking some hot cocoa just as you reach the ravine bottom and walk on the bridge. Drink a cup for me. Good night. Good night, Lavinia. Malone. In five minutes, I'll be safe at home. In five minutes, I'll be phoning silly little Francine and... What's that? Footsteps. Whistling. I'll just walk a little faster. I can run and knock on one of those doors if I have to. It's just a few steps. A man. With a long club in his hand. I could make it to that door now. Now. Who's here? What a time of night for you to be out, Miss Nibbs. Oh, Officer Kennedy. Miss Nibbs, I'd better see you home. Well, thanks, but I'll make it. But you live across the ravine. Yes, but I'll hurry. I'll be fine. I'll wait right here. If you need any help, give a yell. Voices carry good here. I'll come running. <laughs> Thank you. I'm sure I'll be fine. Good night, then. Good night. Alone again. Down the hill and then across the bridge for 70 yards through the ravine and then up the hill to Park Street. 113 steps and only one street lantern to see by. In three minutes, I'll be putting my key in my front door. Nothing can happen in just three minutes. 180 seconds. Here goes. One, two, three, four... Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Am I running? No, it just feels that way. Fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty steps. One fifth of the way. So black here. World has gone behind me now. World of safe people in bed, the locked doors, the town, the drugstore, the theater, the lights, everything is gone. Only the ravine now, black and huge. Nothing's happened yet. No one around, is there? 34, 35, 36. Remember that old ghost story you told your sister when you were kids? The story about the dark man coming in your house and you upstairs in bed with your feet all tucked in the sheets? And now he's at the first step coming up to your room. And now he's at the second step. And now he's at the third step and the fourth step and the fifth. And now the horrid dark man's at the twelfth step. And now he's opening the door of your room. And now he's standing at the foot of your bed. I got you! <laughs> 
bottom of the steps. The man under the light. No. Now he's gone. He was there, waiting. Nothing. The, the bridge is empty. You fool. That's a story I told myself. What should I do? Should I call the officer? Oh, maybe he heard me scream. Nothing. I'll go the rest of the way. <laughs> Stupid story. 41, 42, 43, almost halfway. Careful now, don't fall, not now. Another one. Someone's following me. Someone's on the steps behind me. I don't dare turn around. Every time I take a step, they take one. Officer Kennedy? Is that you? The crickets and frogs, they're listening. The ravine is listening to me. To me. They must be hearing my heart. Keep moving. Faster, faster. Run! Only a little way. 108, 9, 10, 11. Now run across the bridge. Run! That's right. Keep running on the planks. He's following me. He's on the bridge. Don't turn. Don't look. If you see him, he won't be able to move. He'll be so frightened. Just keep running. There. Across the bridge. Please. Please let me get up this hill. Now up the path. Now up between the hills. Oh, it's so dark and everything's so far away. If I scream now, it won't help. I can't scream anyway. Here's the top of the path. Here's the street. safe. If I get home safe, I'll never go out again. I was a fool. Let me admit it. I was a fool. I didn't know what terror was, but if I get home safe from this, I'll never go without Helen or Francine again. Here's the street. Across the street. The porch. My porch. My house. I need just enough time to get inside and lock the door and I'll be safe. Clumsy. Unlock the door. go out at night again. I'll stay home. I won't ever go through that ravine again, ever. Safe inside, the door locked. Wait. Look out the window. Oh, there's no one there at all. Nobody was following me. Nobody running after me. It only makes sense. If a man had been following me, it would have caught me. I'm not a fast runner. There's no one on the porch or the yard. How silly of me. I wasn't running from anything. <laughs> that ravine's as safe as any place. Just the same. It's nice to be home. Home's the really good, warm place. The only place to be. 
Good evening, Lavinia. Later that night, an ambulance arrived and brought out a body on a stretcher. The body of a man. Lucky for Lavinia that the sewing scissors were handy that night. Very lucky. was adapted from the story by Ray Bradbury. Featured in the cast were Barta Heiner, Beverly Rowland, Helen Beeman, Oscar Rowland, Dwayne Hyatt, and Bob Nelson. Original music by Roger Hoffman and Greg Hansen. Production assistant was Patrick Mead. Associate producer and director was Jeff Rader. Bradbury 13 was created, produced, and directed by Mike McDonough. Executive producer was Dean Van Eitert. This program was produced with the funds provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting through National Public Radio Satellite Program Development Fund. The program was produced by Brigham Young University Media Services, which is solely responsible for its content. This is Paul Fries speaking. The Ravine from Bradbury 13, here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. And this was a listener suggestion coming to us from a listener named Jeff. How long ago did he write in to us? It was a while ago, wasn't it? It was over a year ago, Jeff, (laughs) and we're sorry. (laughs) You know, this is a good problem to have, the number of requests that are piling up and I'm not upset that uh, we have all these requests. (laughs) (laughs) And listeners should know the reason we're doing this one from over a year ago is because we've decided to tackle them now in chronological order. (laughs) (laughs) We're starting at the very earliest requests we missed and moving forward. So hang in there. Um, My first note on this, and I'm hoping you guys can clear this up for me. (laughs) I've heard What's a this. ravine? <laughs> <laughs> I was really hard to follow not knowing what that word meant. <laughs> I've heard this somewhere before. Probably suspense. Well... They did this exact same story, but they called it The Whole Town Sleeping, which is the original title. Right. My guess is that I listened to this... 
probably suspense for this podcast. And yeah. nah, not that one. And so it became a weird <laughs> thing with me. Like, is this a thing I remember or is this deja vu? And I hate deja vu <laughs> so much. Like, uh, is the suspense version very similar in the production value and how they... I would say so. I like this one a little better, honestly. I think the performances are really strong in this oh. one. So I probably heard the suspense version of I'm this. I'm guessing you did. Because there's probably no way I saw Ray Bradbury 13 and said, yes, I'm going to give this a listen. But <laughs> <Yes>. it <laughs> wasn't for a listener. I was going to say that, but I didn't. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, and you know why. Contemporary. You have yep. to drag me in, kicking and screaming, other than CBS Radio Mystery Theater. You have to drag me, and Tim does it all the time. Here's one from 1983. <laughs> Take that. I love we still call that contemporary. <laughs> well, I will say this is probably my favorite uh, contemporary old radio show that, <laughs> that we've, we've done. And instead of saying contemporary, shall we say post golden age? Yeah, yeah, um, sure. I'm not that well versed in stuff after sure. the golden age, but I thought this was fabulous. As far as podcast contemporary or post golden age that we've done, the horn is I like that one a lot. Way up there with me. Um, I think that the production value on this is fantastic. I think the acting is fantastic. I think it is a great story. I do have some qualms about it. I can tell you love it. Mm -hmm. So let's, should we just jump into my qualms? Should we just fight? (laughs) Just go at Uh, it? I... Tim, you're not on this episode. I know. Okay, we're just, <laughs> I just wanted to thank Jeff because I show my hand. Like, this might be one of my top favorite five episodes I've heard. I really liked this. Okay, you're in now. You're in. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's the caveats. Oh, you're going to get so mad at me. Yay. <laughs> Two different stories going on, and that's what bugs me. Oh, I... you wanted this, let me take a guess. You wanted this to be about hard-boiled detectives tracking down <laughs> the lonely one. No. <laughs> and there'd be a big no. gunfight at the end, right? Oh, that's a fabulous idea, but <laughs> it really changes everything. And now that you're saying that, yeah. <laughs> but no, that's not what my point was. Here it is. There is a point in this that this seems to be about these women that are getting together to go out on a night on the town, right? And go see the movie, right? And then it's their relationships and how they're reacting to this, which, by the way, I find really odd, uh, their reactions to Elizabeth being dead. And they, well, we're going to the movie anyway. There's something very sinister about that, too, Mm -hmm. which I'm sure I'll get an earful about. (laughs) But then it becomes about... Her in her own head, which is the part I love. It's a psychological thriller. The crux of this is that conversation you're having in your head. So, so it's, it's that final walk home you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. When it transitions from you could conversation give, to just all of her thoughts. You could take a ton of this setup away and give me a lot more of the crux of this, which is not about the other women or the relationships with each other, or even the movie or anything. It's about what goes on in a person's head as terror starts to heighten. And that I found really well written, really well performed, extremely interesting. But you could set that up and go, oh, we're going to go through the ravine where Elizabeth died just a few days ago. And I literally could take 30 minutes of a conversation, (laughs) especially written that well, because it's written really well, too. 
I will jump in and say, I, I grant you that. I feel like the other story, the one that you are not liking as much, the just the mm-hmm. really detailed view of small town life mm-hmm. grounds you in that character and makes that monologue much more meaningful to you, makes you much more invested in her safety, which I liked that a lot. I liked all the, the little details, and I liked the sound of the door squeak. Absolutely. I'm going to get my notes up here because I'm going off of memory because I, I wrote some really astounding notes and I want to read them <laughs> <laughs> word for word. Bar bacon lookout. <laughs> um, is it about the idea that her flippancy toward the death of Elizabeth, I believe was the woman's name who got, was killed in the ravine. And everybody was like, wow, uh, someone's dead. No, we're going to the movie. It's okay. Come on, come on. Is that I think set that's up? where most of the suspense comes for that final walk. The Watching whole her. evening we've been through already, that there is this argument going on throughout that first two-thirds, and it's an argument against going out and having fun and someone arguing that we should go out. We shouldn't let this stop us, this murder. Mm-hmm. And you have different levels of it. You have Francine, who is irrationally hysterical. Right. And then they pick up Helen, who is kind of what I would consider maybe your moderate listener or reader identification person. She's the straight fearful man. in a rational way. Right. Like she goes, okay, we can go along. Francine's kind of sniveling. And then they get to the druggist. And I think it's Helen when she finds out that the druggist has given this stranger <laughs> Lavinia's <laughs> name and address and, and offers free peppermint chews in exchange for possibly right. murdering her. <laughs> She's the one who says, I think we should get a cab and go home now. And I think, I think that's really interesting that we take these steps, both literal steps down through the small town and through their thoughts about how do we weigh this? What is a rational fear? What's an irrational fear? Right. And even her panicked run toward the house is this huge continuing debate on should I be afraid? And I identify with her walk because I think we've all been there, mm-hmm. not really had a killer stalking us, but that filled with fear. I made a bad choice. It's dark. Why am I walking now? Uh, that that structure I, of I've got three minutes till I know I'm somewhere safe. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. counting the footsteps. I felt like it wasn't just a question of does she take the threat seriously? There's the a sub level of like, are you out to let yourself get hurt? Are you yeah, self-destructive? Okay. If we don't mind, I want to focus on that for a second. I, it is bothersome to me how flippant. I don't know what other word to use. How mm-hmm. nonchalant she was. It happened what ten minutes ago. Yeah. Hey, Elizabeth's dead. Bijou, peppermint <laughs> chews. Here we go. And there's something about that that bothered me. But then again, as I was just saying, is that written that way on purpose to help set us up for her turn to her inner thoughts of terror? It can't just... It's Ray Bradbury, right? He's good. It's been proven. <laughs> so it's got, right? So it's got to be on purpose. Yeah, probably purposeful. He has written something that she is that nonchalant and flippant about it on purpose. What's the point, though? Why? There's a lot threaded through here that suggests that she's an independent, willful person. This is clearly the late 20s because they're going to see Charlie Chaplin. She's considered an old maid at 33 because she Mm -hmm. hasn't been married. There's a line from Francine, I think, about how you push people away. I think she's talking specifically about men, but I think that all informs Lavinia's personality and that she's coming from this point of view of independence. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think it's built into her small character. town Bradbury kind of way that she's isolated. Yeah, thirty three and hasn't got married, and that's scandalous. She doesn't seem to be interested in it 
either. So all that suggests to me that she's a person who does her own thing. And I think that's all part of what Bradbury's setting up for that final right. walk. I also think it all plays into that final twist at the end as well. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a second, too. I, I, her calm, it's either unnerving or stupid. <laughs> Here's where I think what Bradbury's doing, though. He is using characters to, I think, to a certain extent, represent different spectrums of human response. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's meant to be naturalistic right. per se, because, again, he very clearly has these three women perfectly aligned on this spectrum of how you would respond to a situation like that from the most extreme on either end to someone in the middle. Yeah, none of so it's real. So I think it's intended. Nobody would go out and walk through the ravine in a real situation the night that a woman got murdered in there with the murderer still in the ravine. Oh, I think someone would. You would. I don't know that I would, but I can't, mm-hmm. I can't say that nobody would. But that's the truth of storytelling, though. Sure. It's always that thing where it has to be what most people would believe, not necessarily what happens. They've had those writing mm-hmm. teachers that say, you know, truth is no defense for bad fiction. You know, it has to be what someone would believe. And in this situation, you did not believe that. So it really doesn't matter whether someone in real life would or wouldn't. The yeah, reader or me, listener has to believe it. Hangs on that people are just telling her straight out, telling Lavinia, don't do it. Right. Uh, and she understands. I mean, she gets what the threat is, but there's a little mystery and ambiguity into why she goes anyways. It's a shortcut on top of that. The ravine's a shortcut. Go the long way. There's a killer in there. Go the long way tonight. So her. But there's something fundamental in that. Why do you go out into the dark? Yeah, uh, there's something wrong with Lavinia. I think we're being led to believe that. To the point of, I started to think, is Lavinia the killer? She's so calm. Uh, I did not go anywhere with that. I, I felt like that's a that she makes some pretty rational points. This is a killer who strikes once a month, you know, yes, she's being super defensive and coming up with excuses. Like, he'll be, he'll be gone for another month. Let's go see a movie before anyone else dies again. But I think there I, is a, a universal fascination with dark, scary, dangerous things. It's roller coasters. Yeah, which I don't go on. <laughs> which is probably why I'm having a hard time. I would never, you know what I mean? Like, that yes, is yeah, not in my no nature. No sympathy for someone who would just do something dumb like that. Yeah, I, I don't understand it. I also think she may not have gone out if it was just her going out part of it is that everyone's telling her not to Mm -hmm. and like you were saying that she's kind of an outsider that community and i feel like she easily can be interpreted as one of those characters who if everyone's going to tell her not to do it Mm -hmm. everyone's going to tell her you should get married you should not walk alone through the ravine Mm -hmm. you should skip the movie tonight she's going to say no 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 i'm going to do it i want to emphasize that i really love the idea of the inner monologue part of this you know mm-hmm. um i've had it happen not being stalked by a killer for sure but my mind's racing and i'm alone and uh-oh my imagination's taking over and then later go wow that was crazy i uh, i actually got myself wound up into thinking things mm-hmm. were happening that weren't happening and i like that psychological aspect of what we can actually do to ourselves in our conversations in our own head well even just to be in that moment of of where you realize that the things that you normally hang on to for stability are gone. gone yeah. Of like, my phone is dead and I'm lost. Mm-hmm. You know, just whatever, these couple little things that keep me grounded and I'm suddenly floating and in danger and no one knows where I am and all the things, like you say, come flooding to your head. I love the concept of there's probably nothing more terrifying than our own brain. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like nothing is scarier than 
what we tell ourselves and not all sorts of situations, right? From day to day activities. No, you're okay. <laughs> you know, that our brain is sometimes our worst enemy. And I love that part of this story. And, and to me, that retroactively goes backwards to the whole rest of the story from her inner monologue because I just identify with that person who's being told by everyone they shouldn't do something. And they just say, no, I'm going to continue through with my plans. And the fact that once she gets alone and we move into her head, she gets so stressed out and it is such a relatable experience being in her head in that moment. That makes me feel there's not anything wrong with her. She's a very normal person, but very independent. Let's talk about the ending. I was really happy with... Happy is weird. (laughs) I was fine when... Standing up and cheering. Right. (laughs) Get her, lonely one. (laughs) She's crazy. When, oh, he's in the house and he says hello, and it could have ended right there. Ambiguous ending. I would have been fine with it this time. You're like, I'm not sure who the guy is or if she dies. I actually would have been fine with it. What I didn't like is the add-on. Oh, yeah, she got him with the scissors. I think it would have been scarier not knowing what happened after that. Thoughts? I love the ending. <laughs> I, uh, I promptly, like the irresponsible person I am, looked up the story and, like, skip, 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 skip. Well, how does this end? I'm looking at Joshua. Do you, have you read the story? I'm assuming you have. No, this is one that I have not read. Wow! Believe it or not. I did. No. Yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to fail Eric once. <laughs> <laughs> so just to, to spoil it, I'm just going to have everyone can collectively have the experience of, like, I didn't read it. I just know, like, the last paragraph. So it's, it's she gets in the house, locks the door, and the last line is, uh, and a man behind her cleared her throat. Cleared his throat. I'm sorry. I messed it up. I'm not quoting it right. right but right. It, all that is, there's no words. It's just she hears a man clear his throat behind her. I love that. That is what I'm saying. That I love. That's a scary, wonderful ending. I think there's too much tagged on. And then she got him with the scissors. I hear you. I think that's totally legitimate. What I liked about it probably goes back to, again, (laughs) what I was saying about her character and the way I reacted to her um, responses to the murders and everything else. I found this to be a complete circle in that we see a character who is able to act on her feet. That she, in the end, mm-hmm. killed this guy. I was just rooting for her. I was like, yes, sure. kill him, Lavinia. Maybe it's not from a writer point of view of just an audience identification. Sure. She went to her movie. She dragged her sniveling friends along. She laughed at Charlie Chaplin. She got her free peppermint chews, and she killed the son of a bitch. I'm like, yes! <laughs> <laughs> Does it bother either one of you, hmm, this is an Eric thing now, right, that we don't find out who the killer is? <laughs> Not at all, Eric. <laughs> no, I am a little with you. Like, if if it had just been Good Evening Lavinia, if it had been that I'm the drugstore guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if if it if it I didn't have more peppermint juice. <laughs> the addition of the Angie stabbing with scissors, uh, which was even structured in a sort of tacked on way, it it, it would have been. I I agree. Like that would have been a nice clean ending. I probably would have assumed that the the guy killed her. Although is it up to my imagination if she just whipped around with uh, scissors? Right. I, there's something more terrifying of it ending with, I love that throat clear thing, but it does feel tagged on. Like, is there possibility that let's give this thing a happy ending? I'm sure that was the intention. I think someone read this story and went, no, I want this stubborn, strong-willed woman to actually win, not end up being proven wrong and killed, <laughs> that she should have been um, hiding in her house like everybody else and shouldn't have taken charge of her life. I think you could do this whole concept, this whole story, without any setup of there's been a murder, 
just a woman walking or anybody walking through a ravine <laughs> and watching their brain <laughs> spiral out yeah. of control. I, like you said, there's three minutes, 120 steps, you know, like, and then they get to their house and like, oh my God, what did my brain do to me? Right. And then, <clears throat> <laughs> oh no, there's a middle-aged man sitting down in my house. <laughs> when did Eric get here? <laughs> uh, I, hear, I hear you, but I just want to speak really quickly to all the stuff I enjoyed before that. I love the ladies walk back from the movie house as the reality begins to sink in mm-hmm. and they talk less and more mm-hmm. Foley comes in and they are singing shine on harvest moon and we yes. just hear the frogs and the crickets and they're lonely oh, walking yeah, that... and then as she says goodbye to each one and gets mm-hmm. closer it's sort of this death march <laughs> you know and i think that's why we need the beginning of this story because the tension just mounts right. and mounts and mounts until we get to that walk and that's they still save a long time i timed it it's like seven and a half minutes Mm -hmm. in her head which is a long time for a radio show so that's about a third of it is all in her head i couldn't even say what it is about about the first part that makes it i mean so bradburyan of this nostalgic view of a small town life as opposed to just you're seeing a scene of it that Mm -hmm. it's it's set in the past and it's really there's some sense of we are looking at this from the future looking at a past moment that has that heartbreak of nostalgia of this is a moment that's gone mm-hmm. yeah and we see the thing kind of trying to kill it in that there's yeah. like a murderer creeping in you know you almost uh, literalize the death of this <laughs> type of life i absolutely agree with you by the way joshua on all of those points i wrote the delay from them singing to getting to the door of francine's house into that silence that delay in you know mm-hmm. it faded out and there was six seconds of silence before we were walking again back to the door that was beautifully done i do agree with all that i just the thing that bugged me is there's two separate scary stories going on and i think there and one, one is a real scary story and one is about what our own brain does to us pick a story and go with it <laughs> when you layer things up all of a sudden lord of the rings and i can't follow anything <laughs> there's 12 plots and eight guys with long beards and i don't know what's happening oh, anymore if only gandalf had shown up in the ravine <laughs> oh, man. you shall not pass <laughs> yeah that guy who's that <laughs> <laughs> he's the guy in lord of the rings the beard <laughs> uh <laughs> the scene in the movie theater too i was both enjoying like the the canned piano music mm-hmm. for just evoking it and then screaming and the lights come on and yeah. and then suddenly the action breaks and you get to oh that was a silly misunderstanding yeah i love that edit <laughs> this is the way you do a cold open or a hook because i i've been on the record right. of hating those hooks yes you do. but if you can get paul freeze to come in <laughs> and he just narrates it's not a scene he narrates elizabeth's body in yeah the, the image and the image is there for you before it starts and it doesn't really ruin it it's more like a prologue than a hook mm-hmm. it also i think helps me with that end too that we have the the two tiny narrated things at the beginning a prologue and epilogue from paul freeze and Paul Freeze is awesome. That oh, voice. Yeah. Paul Freeze is 
this is, I think, the last real dramatic radio he did. He died two years later. He died in 1986. Paul Fries, other than those of us who follow, you know, old-time radio and some other, I mean, he's such a forgotten, amazing talent. And it's really unfortunate because uh, God, his resume is 80 pages long. Anybody notice the uh, beginning of this, by the way, is uh, that THX, the sound thing? <laughs> <laughs> but the sound is... Amazing. It's really well produced. The ravine is just alive. Mm -hmm. You can smell it. You can feel the dampness. Mm -hmm. It is a really amazing. I I didn't realize that the. one of the, the motivating forces behind this whole series was a sound engineer, which mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. From a sound perspective, uh, it is immaculate. It's really well done. Yeah, and he went on to st- start a company. I think it's Huge Sound, but he's done the sound design for, I think, Star Trek First Contact and a bunch of IMAX films. And THX. And THX. <laughs> How much you want to bet that is there's a connection there? Because... What is this, 1984? Well, it's from that era, so that is, this. I think, that sound. Yeah, right. All right. Well, thanks again, Jeff, for uh, bringing this to us. I'll start it right off. Other than the dumb things I said, uh, <laughs> I really loved it a lot. I think it is, story-wise, a classic. The story that Bradbury wrote is absolutely classic. I think that it is a, an exercise in inner monologue exploration. And I love that as a terror device. And I thought the production of this story was really, really exceptional. The technical aspects, the performances are amazing talent, really well done. But for me, uh, this is just a a big flag that I need to read more Bradbury because it's so essentially, as I understand Bradbury and writing essentially him and i loved it to bits that story Mm -hmm. yeah i definitely consider a classic and like i said at the top it's probably my favorite post golden age of radio audio drama that i've heard i think it is just perfect in that it captures the modern sound design of the time Mm -hmm. it has a timeless source material and bradbury but then it still has that nice anchor to the golden age of Mm -hmm. radio with paul freeze voice and just all those things combining and, and peppermint shoes oh, peppermint shoes <laughs> whatever and those are nickels worth of them if Man. i had to make one nitpick and i only bring it up because it's something i find i had an aha moment that it seems to happen consistently with later audio drama productions is there is very little effort to distinguish characters voices oh, yeah. in the casting that's a good point you see this a lot in um to me when i listen to cbs radio mystery theater mm-hmm. too like it took me a while to go through and discern Francine and Helen. Oh, yeah, yeah, and, that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, um, this uh, actually that reminded me that this evoked uh, one of our very first episodes we did in oh, this yeah. podcast, The Poltergeist. The Poltergeist, yep. I, yes. it, it did evoke that for me, too. Which you had three very distinct voices in The Poltergeist. Yeah. Those women. They, that old school style mm-hmm. of uh, make give one a southern accent. Yeah. <laughs> and we kind of think that's hokey now, but it really it helps. helps. Gets the, the job done. It really yeah. does. Right. One of us should get an accent. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm going to talk like this from now on. <laughs> I'm going to have a lisp, okay? <laughs> the mysterious old radio listening society. You're going to? Oh. 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 Now I'm going to just be heard all the time. <laughs> That'll help distinguish my voice. 
All right, well, thanks for listening. <laughs> Tim, tell them some stuff. Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com. If you're not there right now, you can find past episodes of this podcast on that website. You can also find information about live shows that we do. Uh, you can find information about how to contact us. If you'd like to make a request of an episode, you can uh, send us a message. You can contact us on Facebook or Instagram. That's... And then I awkwardly trail off. <laughs> I'm going to just let that sit for a Good. few minutes. Yes. Just get extra awkward. No, you know what? Another opportunity for you guys is to support the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society. And if you'd like to do that, you can go to patreon.com slash themorals. And uh, we offer all sorts of membership rewards, including a members-only podcast called The Secrets of the Mysterious Old Radio. And we already have at least one episode or two up, and uh, they're pretty secret. <laughs> you want to check those out. All right, I got the next one as we continue uh, to delve into our listener requests this summer and get caught up. And uh, we are taking a request from Holly that is almost a year old as well <laughs> from CBS Radio Mystery Theater. Speaking of, uh, an episode called The Thing in the Cave. Until then... Look out! Home's the really good, warm place... The only place to be. <laughs> <laughs>